You're listening to the Cliff Temple Podcast, recorded at Cliff Temple Baptist Church in Oak Cliff in Dallas, Texas. We want to welcome you back to the Cliff Temple Podcast. I'm Gannon Sims, and I'm joined by Trevor Jameson. And we're uh, in this series called Oikonomics, unpacking the foundational principle of the household as a way that we think about God's economy. And we've been looking at uh, various uh, components of this sort of God-shaped economy. And our physical capacity can only be shared if we have a right way of thinking and practicing our way of work and rest. And, and our argument here is that we learn as, as people, and this is countercultural, that we learn how to rest before we work. So we work from a place of restedness as opposed to collapsing at the end of the day and being completely exhausted. We, we see a, a, a number of examples in scripture of where Jesus teaches this value of rest. So um, one of those places is in Mark chapter 6, around verse 31, a well-known verse of scripture where Jesus says to them, says to his disciples, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while, uh, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. And so it's from that place of rest, it's from Jesus' invitation uh, to rest, that then his disciples later on in that chapter uh, participate in the feeding of the 5,000. And so that's, that's what I want us to think about when we think of, of a working out of our rest. A uh, second passage of scripture I want to just sort of touch on would be uh, found in John 15, where we hear Jesus say, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. And there's this whole refrain throughout John 15 of abide, abide, abide in me, remain in me. And, and no one can bear fruit apart from me. We've got to remain in the vine. And so there's that grafting into God, God's economy, God's life, God's time. So that's where I want us to start this idea of working and and, and sharing our our physical capacity, our physical gifts, because it has to start with rest, because we cannot give what we do not have. As, as I think about the sharing of physical gifts, I, I, I lean a lot into um, our households, our home life. I, I lean a lot into our life around the table uh, because it's something we can all relate uh, with. And in my little book, I wrote a called, a called Bringing Church Home. There's a chapter in the book. Chapter five is called A Table Bigger Than Your House, When to Be a Guest and Not a Host. Uh, it goes It goes like this. Um, when Dave and Maria were newlyweds, they started making a pot of soup and a loaf of bread on Thursday nights at their house, a little 1950s rental. Every week, they invited their friends and neighbors over to enjoy their soup and bread. Every week for about six months, Dave and Maria sat at their kitchen table eating their soup and bread alone, but they kept at it. Every week, they remained faithful and prayerful. One Thursday night, a neighbor finally came. The next week, the neighbor brought a coworker. Soon their table was full. 
On one of those full table nights, a friend of a friend, a young and boisterous restaurant manager, showed up with a bottle of wine. Well, Dave and Maria didn't often drink wine, but on that night they did, and the boisterous young man soon became a part of the family. By the time I met that boisterous young man, he was my landlord and the director of Mercy Ministries at a local church. I met Dave and Maria about 15 years later during their daughter's freshman year in college. They lived just down the street from the university and became known to us as the Pancake Parents. On Saturday mornings, a rumpus of students rambled down the hill from the campus to the neighborhood below and into their home. The aromas of bacon and butter and syrup filled the air. As students pulled together an assortment of chairs around the big family table, their plates were piled high with piping hot pancakes. There was no catch, no bait and switch. Dave and Maria weren't out for anything but making pancakes for their daughter's friends. Dave and Maria's life are a gift, and they know how to share it with others. Between their four kids and the countless international students they've hosted in their home over the years, there's rarely a spare bed in their house. When our mutual friend Jill was looking for a supportive community around which to plan the launch of her new business, she happily moved in with Dave and Maria. There's something about a table. We eat at the table, talk at the table, and work at the table. We draw pictures, arrange puzzles, and play games around the table. Once we lived in a house where the washer and dryer were tucked inside a closet under the stairs in the dining room next to the table, so at that house we folded our laundry at the table too. And so it's it's from this place of table that I, I want us to be able to think about a concrete way that we share our physical gifts, our physical capacity, our physical outlets. And it's and it's like I like to think about the table in our home as an extension of the table that we gather around in, in the church, in the worship gathering, the communion table. And so then that table goes from church into our home, into all the public tables that we, we occupy. And, and we kind of get to have a different posture of sharing our physical gifts and capacity in each one of those spaces. I like this concept of thinking about our physical spaces, we finally we finally got a house. And one thing I read in this book, Habits of the Household talks about one of the habits of eating together. And one thing they do as a family and they encourage the readers to do is to buy a table with one extra space mm-hmm. for it. Um, but it's something we're starting to think about with this new space is how can we have space for one extra person and have time during our week to invite a person in. It's a, it's, I like the way you phrased it, Gannon, because it's a posture, is really what it is. It's how we value the things that have been given to us. And this house, this table that we'll purchase, is something that God has given to us. It's not something I've worked really hard for, and so I deserve it, so I can have my own cloistered space. Yep. It's God has given it to me, so I can hopefully be a blessing to others. Yeah, I, I think and it's, it's it's also interesting to me, we're going to start a unified Sunday school curriculum at Cliff Temple on spiritual gifts and how to share spiritual gifts. And I think um, one thing that the author of this study picks up on it, 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 when we think about spiritual gifts and the things we have to share, he sort of um, criticizes the fact that so often um, a move to identify our gifts or our giftedness is from the point of view of our own self-enjoyment, uh, it's, it becomes uh, even narcissistic 
uh, in some ways because it, it makes us preoccupied with personal fulfillment, just like that preoccupation with scrolling on our phones uh, in, in the early morning hours. And, and so it's not to talk about our gifts as a selfish thing. It's a, it's a, we have gifts so that we can share them with others. And that's what, uh, in the story that I read, Dave and Maria do so well, is that they, they're, just, they're just taking a risk opening their home on the same night every week. And I think that's that's really, really key. And we'll get in that in a minute uh, in terms of how we develop predictable patterns in our life so we can actually have the space to share gifts. But with Dave and Maria um, being faithful and present around the table, even on the nights where nobody showed up, finally people did start showing up and they were able to invest in this guy, Chris Six, who was far from God, and he came to Christ because they had soup and bread around their table. And then the thing is, I don't know Dave and Maria. That's, it, it happened at a different city um, than I was living in at the time. And then I end up moving to Alexandria, Virginia, where Dave and Maria had lived before and ministered to Chris. Then Chris, um, long story short, becomes the mercy ministry minister at Alexandria Presbyterian Church. I had a knew a friend of a friend that knew his father-in-law and... I end up renting an apartment that he was managing and got to be his friend. Fast forward 15 years, I'm doing the same thing around my table in my home for Dave and Maria's daughter. And then I meet wow. Dave and Maria later. And so when, when people mm-hmm. say, well, what? I don't get this economy of God thing or this oikos sort of situation. Well, the oikos is the household, but it's extended family. It's extended relationship. And we see how the, uh, the provenient grace of God goes before us. Uh, he was at work in Dave and Maria's life as they sat around a, a relatively empty table. He's at work in Chris's life. Chris comes to Christ. Chris invests in me. I invest in Dave and Maria's daughter. You see how it works. And, and we can call it serendipity or we can call it God. And, and <laughs> as Christians, I think we, we have no, uh, no reason to believe that it's not um, God at work uh, in those particular situations. Yeah, as we're continuing to exposit this idea of kind of kingdom of God, economics of God, it's kind of that serendipity of what we could call it happenstance that the house you own and the encounters you have and whatever else all kind of the stars align um or yeah i like how you put it you could see it as god is working these things together to make things work and so it's sort of like uh, if you can have a seat at your table why wouldn't you um, and, and that starts, again, from a place of restedness. It also starts from a place of worship. I and mean, we talk a lot at, at Cliff Temple about up and, and out. So having a, a worship life that's oriented up toward God and, and, and the most concrete way that we do that in life of, of the church, uh, as the table is concerned, is we, we gather around the table. We receive uh, the, the um, a means of grace, the, the ordinance of, of uh, the Lord's Supper, and that uh, sharing is really just a, it's a symbolic gesture of what in the early church was a full-out banquet, a full meal. That's how the early church met. But we still gather around that table to worship, to pray, to participate in the sharing of the story of Christ's uh, death and resurrection. But then from that upward space... We can go into our homes 
where we are uh, really have the ability to facilitate and intend the presence of Christ at our tables at home. And so then, you know, whereas the church gathering might be kind of a closer-knit community, our our home should have, a, again, an extra seat at the table where it can be a little bit more permeable, where we where it's okay if friends and neighbors come over, it's okay if people come over that don't have the same table manners or the same language as you do, um, and we just have to be okay with that if we're going to have our homes open to the world. But, but there's a lot of wonderful things that can happen in that middle space that that is both in inwardly focused and outwardly focused um, because Christ is is present at that table and then you know we get to go out into the neighborhood uh, where we're actually served by others um, but then the challenge for us is just to allow ourselves to be served and still be the presence of Christ there but again having having the time around the table and particularly a, a time we know it we know at church the first Sunday of the month we have communion um, and then I'm hoping that in our homes we can do something similar where, you know, I don't know if it's the first whatever Tuesday of the month you have people over for dinner. We're, we're trying that at our home every every Tuesday. We're saying is kind of a, a night of the week where we're either going to have friends and neighbors over around our table uh, or we're going to go take dinner to somebody. We're going to load up the crock pot and travel to somebody else's table. So that's just part of our our rhythm, my, my advocacy here is that we all create a family rhythm of life with a pattern that is predictable enough that we actually can commit to it and do it. And when we do those things, the quote predictable pattern, that phrase comes from a guy called Mike Breen, it, it actually frees us. This is revolutionary. When you have some patterns in your life, you're actually free. I want to go back and ask a couple questions before we close out here. But one question I had was about the up and and out idea. Yeah. It sounds to me like what you're saying is that the invitation to our table, um, especially through these predictable patterns, can both be worship, community, and outreach. Mm-hmm. Do they have to be all three of those? No, uh, they don't. But it's good It's good to think about them all. I mean, I'd say in the in the... A church gathering, it's much more up mm-hmm. and in. Uh, in your home gathering, I I make an argument it can be up in and out. Sure. Um, but it's gonna it's gonna where the church gathering is gonna be more up worship of God. The home gathering is gonna be more in. It's gonna be a little more communal there. Can still have some worship. Can still have some mission. Uh, and then the out is uh, you can have all three there too. But again, it's gonna be more uh, the the. If you're out at dinner somewhere else, it's going to be a little more outwardly focused. Sure, um, sure. So each one has kind of a, a, a there's an accent on one, uh, but all three are present. Okay, so that was going to be the follow-up to my second question is, you're seeing this going out to other places, because this is interesting to me. I've never heard this really said until you mentioned it on Wednesday. This going out to be served is actually kind of a missional attitude itself. And it makes me think of... In the book of Acts, when Paul gets, you know, he's imprisoned, he's shipwrecked on the island, and they all show up, prisoners on the island, and the the islanders actually serve Paul and mm. all the prisoners and bring him in. Yeah. Um, and Paul accepts it. And you might ask, like, how in the world this ends up opening an opportunity for Paul to speak to the king or chief of the island and this guy gets converted <laughs> mm-hmm. because he served Paul. It's so backwards to me to think of missions as like I would think it as like we serve others. We bring food to people who are in situations of homelessness. Or we bring 
you know, a meal to our neighbor in need. But it's interesting to think of our neighbor bringing us a meal in need. Yep. And that might open a missional conversation. Yep. And that's what I'm advocating. And that's what we uh, will increasingly see as we are more and more aware of the fact that we're living in a post-Christian culture. We're living in a society where only about 20% of us are part of a church community. So there's a lot more to uh, unpack and and future episodes. But again, go to clifftemple.org backslash share, share your thoughts. And uh, we look forward to continuing this this conversation. Uh, but for now, um, I'm Gannon Sims. And uh, for Trevor Jameson and I, uh, you've been listening to the Cliff Temple podcast.